1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life.
3: We're here to support your company and your employees, now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life.
2: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. It's Wednesday, December 28th, and this week I'm going to ask my panel of guests to look into their crystal balls and to predict what might happen in 2017 for the Irish economy and for business in general. I'm joined in studio by Dave McRedmond, Chief Executive of uh, On Post, by Marian Finnegan, who's Chief Economist with the Sherry Fitzgerald Group, and by Stephen Teeling, who's co-founder and director with Teeling Whiskey in Dublin. And don't forget, you can download Inside Business for free from iTunes, and it's also available on our website, Irish Times dot com forward slash podcast david might start with you uh you're in a new job after many years leading tv3 uh, you've joined on post as chief executive and almost one of your first acts was to appoint mckinsey uh, to conduct a strategic review for a business that let's face it is uh, is pretty much challenged for various reasons that we'll talk about uh, and to, I, I presume that piece of work is going to come to fruition in 2017 so it's going to be a big year for on post yeah it's a it's a very it's a very important year um
3: on uh, is a really important company in the state it's one of it's it's a vital physical network and um, it's actually increasingly becoming an important engine for e-commerce uh with physical delivery um it is a vital financial services business so what happens at on really matters it also happens to employ a lot of people um and for me, it's it's a different opportunity going into the public sector. I've never worked in the public sector before. You well, uh, were in Aircom. I, mean, that was... I was in Aircom, which was... And actually, it feels very similar to when I joined Aircom. And Aircom had just um, been privatized when, when I went in there. And on Pustas is is very similar. There's an awful lot going on, a lot of innovation, a lot of good people. Maybe from my perspective, from my kind of private sector perspective... Uh, it could be more focused. And indeed, a lot of the work I've been doing with the management team is to really focus on what really matters. So um, two things matter. First is to make sure you've cash flow for the next couple of years. And Unpust uh, is very challenged because of e-substitution with with mails. People use email rather than post. So that meant we had to look really closely at the price of mail, and the price of mail will be going up significantly. Um, it will be going up probably somewhere in the region of, the stamp will be somewhere between 90 cent and a euro. Um, and uh, up from 72 cent. It still represents fantastic value. Um, it's very cheap that overnight you can get a letter that's almost like courier. Uh, for for that price, and we've very high standards in OnPost. It's one of the highest standards of next day delivery in Europe. So um, the actual quality of the service is good, um, but we, we need to look at other things. But first of all, we have to make sure we have money, and money for the next two years. Having Having made sure of that with the price increase, and it's not something we want to do, but we want to make sure that we can provide a quality service for businesses, for people in Ireland, then we that gives us the space to be able to do this strategic uh, plan. And I, I, I don't like either words, uh, strategy or plan. Um, I prefer to think it's about making big decisions about the business. And we'll make those big decisions and we'll make them in the first half of 2017. And they will all be about um, really what is the scale of the business? What's the scope of the business? Is it in the right Areas isn't the, is it doing the right things? And that's the reason why actually we appointed McKinsey is we wanted somebody who's done this twenty or thirty times with other postal services around the world. And you know we find fascinating things in Italy. Financial services is about ninety percent of the post office in Italy, and it does extremely well. In other areas, in for example, in Denmark, they're they're almost driving down mail. Um, first class next day delivery is literally becoming a, almost a courier product. Very high price, three euros fifty in Denmark to get a next day letter, um, but uh, really driving up the the whole uh, parcels business. And that really is the the, the value and future of postal services as parcels. And you know, even this Christmas we see parcel sales were up about fifteen or sixteen percent. Um, while mail continues to decline. And the reason why it's going up is is very obvious. It's e-commerce. We have a product address pal. There's others in the market as well who who allow you to purchase from abroad. Um, and and we bring bulk ship it in here and then deliver it to you. We need to be able to do that within Ireland to support Irish retailers. and But mainly what we need to do is to have a world-class delivery service so that you can get your mail Uh, You can get parcels when you want, where you want, uh, at the Mm -hmm. time of your choosing. And so that's all part of what we're doing. But the strategic review could consider really literally anything. And that's the whole purpose of a strategic review is to say, Where is Unpulsed going to be in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time? Where is logistics going to be in Ireland? How does Ireland connect with the world? How do Irish businesses connect better with the world? How how do Irish people get services from outside Ireland, from the rest of the world? And that's that. Ultimately, is what what the whole
2: uh, business is about. There's a couple of sacred cows, I suppose, with the postal services. People see it. One is the the fact that you deliver to every nook and cranny every single day in Ireland. Uh, and you mentioned the fact that it is pretty good value, uh, seventy two cent at, at the minute. But whatever it goes up to, it is still pretty good value in terms of sending a, a getting the next day delivery of a letter. Um, and the other one is the post office network. Uh, every town and village around the country wants to retain its post office doesn't want to lose that it sees it as a a vital part of the community so what are you saying to them in, in in terms of those two issues? well i'd
3: say in terms of two issues the first one which is has the 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 sexy title of the uso the universal service obligation which is to deliver next day to every house in the country and that we want to keep i think quality really matters And having a high quality network really matters. And if we're putting up prices, we're not going to reduce the quality. Um, Now you can't say that's true forever, but we can say it's true for the foreseeable future. And certainly in terms of network uh, of the uh, the the mail delivery service, we want to make sure that in Ireland, in a country with a very distributed population, um, and it is a uniquely distributed population anywhere in the world. I know this from days in Aircom and the challenges of providing broadband. Um, so it's very important that we provide that network. And I think that's what our customers want in relation to the post office network. It's a different challenge. And, you know, the first thing is we completely, absolutely support a rural post office network. Um, it's the heart of the business. It's the reason why the post brand is very popular. People like it. And that service will absolutely be maintained. That doesn't mean it has to be maintained in the current configuration. I'm a retailer from before I was in, in Aircom. It doesn't mean you keep the same stores. You keep the same offices. Um uh, you know, networks change and they have to change. But, you know, I'm well aware there's postmasters and postmistresses who own those businesses and, and you know, they, they have their own interests and their own right around those businesses. But one of the things we have to get away from, uh, I think, in Ireland is... Um, is the sacred cows, is the the sense of, oh, the rural network, the rural post office. They're they're considered the most beautiful words, the rural post office. What what does that mean? Does it mean, as you've said in your introduction there, that it's a post office in every village and every town, in which case you kind of go, well, that's pretty good. But there are post offices that aren't in villages and aren't in towns that are by by a, a crossroads or sometimes by the side of a road or, you know, w- what does it mean about that? I think, again, you're looking the long term and you say, first of all, what are the services you want to provide beyond social welfare and um, what are the services you want to provide beyond stamps? And you say, well. There's a whole set set of financial services, you know, to have really good ethical financial services when when banks are closing branches. Can we have that network? Once you've worked that out, you then say, what's the right shape and size for that network? And then you say, what's the social need? Because we're a public uh, publicly owned company and we have to meet a social need. But the social need can't be defined by one person in one place. It's got to be we've got to come up with some objective criteria. But all of that is designed to make sure we've a great business for the long term. But we've quite a way to go to get that shape of that network right and the products right.
2: So when will we get the
3: results of this strategic review? I think sometime we said April, but you know it can, could take a couple of months after that. And to, to make sure all our stakeholders have been fully and adequately, uh, it's been discussed with them. I realise there's a lot of different groups who are interested in it um and but you know we'll we'll uh, we're not going to shirk you know yeah. decisions that have to be made um this is this is perhaps a, a one
2: opportunity there perhaps won't be another okay. Um, Stephen Teeling I don't know how often you send posts uh, you're a young man with a, a, a new business do you send did you send many Christmas cards uh, to
0: date or d- does your business do all its communication by email uh, no we did some Christmas cards this year a nice picture of the distillery uh, sent out a few nice hampers um, so yeah we still would use post quite a bit email obviously being the day to day but I think as a tradition and as a gesture I think we do use post. Definitely right. for Christmas cards. Right. Okay. So
2: you're in the whiskey business. Mm-hmm. You're only a couple of years old now. Uh, just tell me a little bit about the background to Teeling Whiskey yeah. and the journey you've made so far.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, myself and my brother Jack, I would have grown up in a family business, Cooley Distillery. My dad would have set up the first new it's distillery, yeah, back in 1987. Um, myself and my brother were a new generation of whiskey producers. Uh, our family would have been originally involved in whiskey production in the city of Dublin. Uh, we've brought distilling back um, for the first time in over 100 years. Uh, we sell in over 45 countries. Um, we employ over 80 people. Um, and also as well, we're the only distillery in Dublin that lets you in to see whiskey being made. Um, you know, main markets being the US, continental Europe, um, Australia. Um, and yeah, today's, um, this year, we've had nearly 80,000 people visit us in Dublin, which is, which is brilliant. And where are they coming from? Uh, We've got a good mix of people, uh, predominantly the US, um, a lot of people from the UK, a lot of German and French tourists in the last half of the year, um, and a lot of Irish people. Um, I think a lot of them were fascinated that we had brought the stilling back to the city for the first time, um, and they want to see something different. They want to learn a bit, but also see something being made.
2: Okay, now you're the new kid in the block, and there's a lot of established players there uh, in the Irish whiskey market. Jemison is the big gorilla, I suppose, Mm -hmm. uh, in the jungle, if you like, and it has been hugely successful over the past ten, fifteen years. Irish distillers have put a massive marketing budget uh, behind it. So, how do you compete as a new player in the market with somebody as big as uh, Jemison, and indeed the other big players like Bushmills and others?
0: Yeah, well, the category has been dominated by big multinationals for many, many years. I think as a small Uh, family-owned Irish company, you have to think about how you can be different. Um, I think a focus on quality and also in terms of driving value up in the category. So if you go head-to-head with the big guys um, who have deep pockets, uh, which is marketing intensive, it's um, spending money on people on the ground, you'll be uh, in a lot of trouble. I think what we've looked at was there was a opportunity to drive the segmentation of Irish whiskey. So you need a big market leader. Every category like Scotch, um, American whiskey have had big brand leaders. What we want to do is drive up the value chain. So we saw white space in the area of probably 30 to 60 euro. um, We would say the premium white space. And you try and make it easy to understand why you're different. So we chose Dublin as an anchor and bring the selling back to Dublin, but also make it easy to understand why your product is different. If you're a Me Too, the bigger guys will blow you out of the water. So Mm. if you are differentiating, you're adding value and also you're making it easy to understand why you're different. Um, And I think that was where we saw the opportunity.
2: So what impact is the likes of Brexit uh, going to have in your business or Donald Trump becoming the next American president talking about bringing jobs home and uh, so forth? What what impact is that? And, you know, French elections, German elections, there's a lot of uncertainty around the Eurozone area. What impact is that likely to have on your business?
0: Yeah, I think uncertainty is um, bad for us in terms of uh, people maybe not spending as much as they used to. Um, I think the Brexit issue um, is more around tourists coming to to Dublin rather than um, a direct exposure in terms of exports. Um, I think the agribusiness guys are more exposed to um, Brexit than ourselves. Our biggest market by a factor, probably four or five, is the US which has actually been quite strong. Um, I think uh, with uh, Trump coming in, the, the markets have never been stronger. So I think in the short term, um, the strong dollar has actually been positive for us. Um, you know, So much so, we've actually uh, invested in putting... We're going to have 11 um, new Irish graduates based in the US in 2017. So for us, I suppose, the short-term implications of Brexit will be potentially not as many um, people from the UK coming to visit... Um, I think for us as well, long term, um, our focus on doubling down in the US, particularly with a strong dollar, um, can only be seen as a positive. You know, Irish whiskey globally um, sells about 60 percent, 50 to 60 percent in the US. And the fact that that is incredibly strong at the moment is a positive for us.
2: Okay, and it's a big, it sounds like a big
0: investment for a a young company uh, to be making 11 graduates In the U.S.? Yeah, well, I think for us, we need boots on the ground. I think it's grassroots marketing. Um, We're putting them in places like New York, California, Massachusetts, Illinois, and what we need to go in there and tell the story. Um, We're quite a unique product, so we're um, non-footloose, so it has to be made in Ireland. So it's a premium Irish product being sold abroad, but also encourages people to come and see us. Um, so you need to get in there and really make the case as to why people might spend a little bit more on your products so we felt there's no better people to go out and sell Irish products than Irish people Um, Um, Marion Finnegan uh, Sherry Fitzgerald biggest residential property estate
2: agent uh, in the country I think it's fair to say what can we expect from property next year?
1: Well it's going to be an interesting year I think we've had a very interesting 2016 just gone Tell Um, us a little
2: bit about that I mean how many houses have Sherry Fitz shifted this year?
1: Well, the market overall in the first nine months transacted about 34,000 to strip out the multifamily. It's about 32,000 and we haven't got the final quarter figures in yet. It's pretty much the same as the year before. So that is a bit disappointing when you see that we have a very strong economy, very strong demographic demand for property. So it is unusual in those sort of circumstances to see activity almost stagnate. Um, well, so that's a little bit bills? disappointing. How
2: many new bills are we going to see? Overall, we'll probably
1: see in 16 somewhere around thirteen to 14,000 when the final figures come out. So it's still very disappointing given that the market requirement is for a treble that. Um, so we have a market that is still quite dysfunctional. Now, having said that, we have made inroads into that uh, this year. So there's been a couple of positive m- of moves and then a couple of disappointing moves. In terms of the positive, we have seen a relaxation in terms of the macro potential policy. From the central bank. From the central bank. And that's positive in that what it had done was hold back the first-time buyers from the marketplace. And if the first-time buyers are not buying, mm. then the builders are not building. So that was a problem. The fact that that has relaxed somewhat is a positive step. We've also seen the government come out in July with an action plan for housing, which reads very well. It looks like a vision and a plan for the housing market, which is the first one we've had in a very, very long time. In the budget, we saw the Help to Buy scheme come out from first-time buyers. Again, they're a very essential cohort in the marketplace. So anything that allows first-time buyers to come back into the marketplace is a step in the right direction. We need to allow first-time buyers to become active in the marketplace. Perhaps the most disappointing element of the market is that we have a very, very strong lettings crisis. So your first step onto the property ladder is into the lettings marketplace before you become a first-time buyer. The changes in the macroprudential policy will help that market gradually over time as it allows more first-time buyers to be freed out of the lettings market and allow them to buy. But we still have a very inadequate stock of available investment properties and a strong and growing demand for those for people who want to rent. Mm. Can you put some numbers on that for us? Well overall as the, as the population has expanded in the last number of years the demand for that sector has grown exponentially but the quantity of properties available has completely contracted so today there's about a third of the units that typically will be available to let in the marketplace actively have been advertised. And what we have seen is that investors are getting out of the marketplace in very large numbers. So when we look at our transactions over the course of 2016, 32% of our vendors were people saying, I'm selling my investment property. And another 11% were repossessed assets, which were almost 100% uh, buy-to-let properties. So that's well over 40% of people getting out of the marketplace. And yet only one in five of our purchasers were investors. So a rule of thumb, for every one investor who's buying into the investment property market, two are getting out and that has led to very very high levels of rental inflation so now rental levels back at peak or or almost peak in every location in the country we still have a market that's in crisis Mm. so i think that's probably one of the biggest challenges for the year ahead
2: interesting that you said the government's housing plan announced earlier this year reads very well Uh, interesting language Mm. Uh, do you believe it'll work
1: there's a lot of things that have to happen to make it work and there's no silver bullet for property but i would say is that there is a lot of good intention, but a lot of, of it has been pushed out. So, for example, in terms of the letting's market, I think that is the biggest disappointment of the year. It talks about over the course of two thousand and seventeen, looking at the tax take for private investors. It's not a hard equation to work out. It should be looked at immediately. That's an essential. They talk about improving the position for private investors buying by increasing the mortgage interest from seventy five to one hundred percent over the next five years. Why are we waiting five years? Why don't we do it now? Private investors are somewhat demonised in Ireland, whereas in most other developed property markets, the private investment sector are seen as a very important part of the marketplace. In Ireland, we want to move to Only professionals or um, build to rent or REITs buying property, they all have a very strong position in the marketplace and they should have. But we also need, when you have a sparsely populated country, you need private investors. The big REITs and the build to rent schemes do not work in Carlow, Longford, Mayo and arguably not even in Goy or Limerick. They really only work in Cork and Dublin. So we do need an active private investor sector. We don't have Mm. that. So we still have a problem for the year ahead.
2: What about this 4% cap on rents that Simon Coveney uh, is is looking to push through for the next three years?
1: My argument for that against that would be you have high rents. So the best thing we can offer is that they're only going to go by 4% more. I don't think that's a solution. If the person who wants to rent an accommodation has no choice. So there's no stock available. So I think... The measure in itself doesn't solve anything, and yet we debated it for a week in December as to whether or not it should be 4%, 3%, 2%. It's somewhat irrelevant. If the rents are unaffordable, capping the amount they grow is a marginal step in the right direction. What we should have been doing is incentivising the stock.
2: Okay, we'll take a short break there and we'll return in a few moments uh, with further analysis of what might happen in 2017. Back in a few moments.
3: Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to IrishLifeEmpower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015.
2: Now, welcome back and um, this is the final Inside Business podcast uh, from the Irish Times for this year. I'm joined in studio by David McRedmond, uh, Chief Executive of On Pulse by Marion Finnegan, Chief Economist with the Sherry Fitzgerald Group and by Stephen Teeling, who's co-founder and director of Teeling Whiskey in Dublin. And they're going to uh, help me tease out what the big issues of 2017 are. Uh, David, are you feeling good about the Irish economy for next year?
3: Uh, I've probably never felt more uncertain. Um, which isn't bad. I mean, we've had years when you would look forward and you'd say it's going to be a tough year, and it's not necessarily going to be a tough year. But, uh, you know, the global uncertainty really does have a massive impact um, on the economy here. Um, uh, Just about everything is in flux, whether it be exchange rates, uh, whether it be what future trade plans are going to be, um, political instability, all of those things play. Yet, at the same time, we have a domestic economy that has been performing better and should, without any real reason, it should continue to perform better. So um, so you have a number of things moving in different directions. One of the big issues, I think, really is the, the huge issue of, of investment uncertainty. That there is plenty of money. You know, if I think of London as being a big investor market for Ireland, um, particularly if you look at private equity, and which I'd be familiar with, you know, private equity is bursting at the seams with money. They've raised huge amounts of money and they have nowhere to spend it. There haven't really been the deals. There hasn't been the deal flow. Um so private equity companies are developing a whole load of different products, for example, minority investment products or investment products at lower levels than they would normally do, um, or on smaller scale or indeed in larger scale. So they're all trying to diversify. They're all looking for deals. And um, I think also. Everybody's looking to diversify their own investments between sterling, between yeah. euro, between dollar. So all of those things mean that actually Ireland could do quite well if we hold our nerve, if the economy is, is well run. Um, I think Ireland, Ireland could do well. We could get good inward investment and um, hopefully hopefully this time next year be looking at, at a reasonably successful story.
2: And yes, Marion Finnegan, um, we have a situation with Apple the Apple tax uh, case which reared its head again uh, this month um, where the the European Union has decided that Apple owes 13 billion in back taxes, whether it's Ireland or the US, doesn't really matter. So that places a a question mark over our uh, tax regime Mm -hmm. and meddling by the European Commission. Mm -hmm. And I think something like 14 companies were were looked at Mm -hmm. as part of its investigation, Mm -hmm. Uh, 14 multinationals operating in in Ireland. So that must be a bit concerning for the multinational sector on on the one hand. And then on the other hand, in terms of, property uh, we mentioned uh, before the break about the rent caps that Simon Coveney as Minister for Housing is trying to introduce that has an impact on the REITs and the property investors who've uh, come into this market from abroad uh, and they're also introducing a, a tax take now from these which were special investment vehicles that are being used by these
1: foreign investors so perhaps suddenly Ireland isn't quite as attractive as it might have been a couple of years ago. I think we've had, in terms of investment into the property market, we've had a very successful number of years. In 2016, it was over €4 billion Euros invested in, in, in commercial property alone. So it has been a very successful story. In terms of the FDI investments, there's no doubt that the cap, uh, that the Apple um, controversy is, is not in any way helpful. But if you look at the position that the IDA has achieved over the last number of years, they've had a phenomenal success run. And in comparison to an awful lot of the rest of the world, we still look like a very solid economy, albeit small, in a very safe political environment. Now, while we may not be certain as to who the Taoiseach will be at the end of 2017, we're pretty sure they're going to have a Mm. similar coat to the one that we have now. So that, if you compare that to Germany or to France or to most of, of the rest of the world, is a pretty stable, safe environment. In terms of Brexit and the impact that could have, we've got Trump on one side and Brexit on the other There's no doubt that Ireland is well positioned to benefit, particularly in terms of commercial property, from a Brexit scenario. In the company, we've had several inquiries from very, very large players who say, I want to get ahead of any um, uh, political changes in the next 12 months and get into Ireland. Now, we have the office accommodation. We're building the houses. We can benefit from this, but we need to be clever and ensure that the type of jobs coming in are the type of jobs that will add significant value to our economy. I think if we achieve that, it could be an amazing number of years for the mm. Irish property. So how many
2: firms have knocked on your door and inquired about
1: There's There's not thousands, moving. but there are, there are reasonably large numbers coming in And they're high profile uh, companies that are the type of companies you would want to be based in Ireland. Now, the biggest beneficiary will be Dublin and arguably the centre of Dublin. It's not going to benefit the entire country. But every step in the right direction is positive, I think.
2: Right. Uh, Stephen Teeling, what kind of year is it going to be for Irish whiskey? Because it's had this fantastic run over the past uh, 15 years. Phenomenal growth. Can it continue or is the bubble about to burst? Is the world about to move on to something else, gin or vodka or whatever?
0: I think we're only just getting started. So Irish whiskey has um, enjoyed vast growth over the last few years, but really only scratching on the surface. So Irish whiskey globally only sells about seven percent of world whiskey. Um, Scotch has dominated for many many years. Um, there was a monopoly in Ireland for about forty fifty years. One distillery basically making all the whiskey. Now we're in a, what I feel anyway is a new golden era for whiskey production with. At the moment, I think there's 13 uh, working distilleries now mm. in in Ireland. It's an
2: awful lot, isn't it? I mean, to come from what one or two to 13 in a short space of time, and I think there are more on the books, more being planned. Yeah,
0: there are. But um, as you know, you look at Kentucky or you look at Scotland. Um, there's 32 separate distilleries in Kentucky. There's hundreds of the distilleries in Scotland. And Irish whiskey, 150 years ago, sold 60 percent of the world whiskey. Um, I think. We're on a medium to long term trend. These whiskey cycles tend to go 50, 60 years. Um, the growth has been pushed by the US, which is a shop window to the world. Um, it's not in emerging economies. We're growing at about 15 to 20% in the US. Um, And we feel with choice and breadth coming into the category, that's going to continue. And it's something that fundamentally has to be made here in Ireland. We're not locating here because of the tax. Of course, you
2: can't make Irish whiskey anywhere else. Exactly.
0: But also as well, we haven't been dragged into uh, commodity style pricing. We're still premium relative to other whiskies. So it's a premium Irish product that's sold abroad that encourages people to come Mm. and visit Mm. us. And it's manufacturing. So, as I said, we are employing over 80 people. Um, We encourage people to come to see us which is good yeah. for the local economy. What about input costs I mean,
2: what is all this geopolitical uncertainty in the world having uh, on input costs?
0: Yeah I think with um, obviously the, the swings in sterling but also um, the move in the dollar and there's some uncertainty we saw some packaging through sterling but also we get it through uh, dollar so it's hard to actually plan effectively um, I think the strong dollar has been very good for us, but again, um, who knows which way it will go over in the next 12 months? Um, mm. I think Do you know if we, Donald Trump drinks Irish whiskey or is um, he? Well, no, down in Doombag I think he's he's tried a few. Uh, I don't know his brand, but uh, yeah, I think uh, he, uh, like a lot of Americans, I think is fond of the tipple. Um, and I think for for next year in particular, a lot of Americans have already planned to come to Ireland, particularly Dublin. So we're hoping that'll be positive for tourism as well. Yeah. Uh,
2: Deadman Grebman, Marion mentioned about, uh, you know, you can't be certain which uh, Taoiseach we'll have in place come (laughs) the end of the year. We have a minority government. It's a very unusual uh, political setup that we have in the Dáil at the minute. Uh, The government has had a a couple of wobbles uh, since taking office. Uh, how do you see that playing out in 2017? And do you think uh, Enda Kenny might be replaced either with another Fine Gael t or perhaps with a Fine one? I'm always conscious
3: that, well, conscious now that, that the government's my shareholder. I think, uh, I, I also remember my dad telling me that, uh, uh, you know, Italian governments were very stable because they were so weak. And um, uh, you'll also, you know, Vincent Branner, I remember saying one of the best governments we had was the minority government in, in the 80s. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a, a bad situation, it keeps people very focused and um, it stops policies, uh, wild policies coming along um, because government does have to work harder to survive. And actually, I don't see any reason why there would be a change of government. I think it's a reasonably stable situation. Um, I think we've in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil parties with similar policies. You know, I think a year ago or six months ago, it looked a lot less stable than it does now. Um so I, I, I'd be reasonably confident that that government will be stable in 2017. Um what's interesting really is in terms of of policy is is. While government may be stable, um, can policy develop sufficiently when you have a government that doesn't have a big majority or doesn't have a majority? That, I think, is a more difficult issue. So while on the one hand, it, it can lead to, to conservative, uh, uh, with a small c, a conservative approach to to politics and that can keep things relatively stable, we do need to think for the long term. How do we plan for the long term? How, how does politics plan for the long term? That's much more complicated, I think, in in this situation or where there, where there is some uncertainty. And I think some thought has to be put into that. You know, we've got, just listening to some of the comments around the table here, we're all talking about the Irish economy, you know, reasonably positive about the Irish economy, but a lot of it is about Dublin. And um, we've got to tackle this issue about us being a number of things. First of all, being a subscale economy. And I've known that from Aircom. I know it from TV3. I can see it from on And yet there's no policy that recognizes that Ireland is a subscale market. Um, so that's why it's great if you've Irish companies that are exporting, but companies that rely on the domestic market have a unique set of challenges. That's one. And we have to accept that there's costs that go with that. And that's why, for example, mail can't be below the European average. Um, uh, and maybe people have to pay more to live in a country where we've got our independence and we're relatively small. The second thing, then, is the whole issue of our distribution of our population and making sure that we don't become so so centred in Dublin. I've seen it in the UK. I lived in the UK many years. I, I love London. I love being in the UK. But but London really, really dominated uh, the British economy, perhaps to an extent that it led to some degree of social breakdown that could indeed be responsible for Brexit. So those big long-term policies are the issues, I think,
2: not the stability of the government. Yeah. Marion, there's no sense of uh, regional balance being brought into play uh, next year, is there?
1: Um, well, I think it's it's one of the biggest challenges that we have, there's no doubt. And if you look at where um, the employment growth has gone, we have seen a very significant employment growth in all of the urban centres, but more particularly in the greater Dublin area and, and less so in rural Ireland. Now, we are seeing now in terms of property a bit of an uplift in terms of certainly the strongest levels of price inflation in the last 12 months have been in rural Ireland, but it's coming from an incredibly low base and most of rural Ireland is still 40% off peak levels. So is Dublin, in fact, for that matter. Um, But there's no doubt that the beneficiaries of the recovery have been the cities and and the biggest losers have been the rural areas and that's a big challenge. The
2: whole pressure around the central bank lifting the caps and the macroprudential rules was all around Dublin housing, wasn't it? It was, They previously had a cap of 10% uh, up to the first 200. 20,000 value of a home. In most rural areas, rural parts, and provincial parts of the country, that's not a problem. But in Dublin, it was a problem because house prices were probably, what, on average, 300 grand or thereabouts?
1: Absolutely. I mean, even the viability of delivering anything less than that was hugely challenging, given the land costs and the cost of construction in Dublin. So typically, if you're looking at, at producing property in the Dublin marketplace, nothing was being built really below two eighty certainly but, but very little below three hundred thousand. So that previous cap was proving very challenging. What it the impact it had Which was never the intention, was that developers simply switched their market product and they said, well, we can't sell to first time buyers because we can't, you know, they're not available at Mm. that level. And therefore they started building much more expensive properties. So if you look at the average value of new homes that sold in 2016 versus 2017, it was up about 18%. That's a multiple of what the average market moved. So what we saw is much more expensive properties being built because that's where the demand was. So it was a big challenge.
2: And what about office? Uh, Are we in danger of having an oversupply of offices? A lot of new bills over the last uh, number of years. And Savils uh, last week were predicting that rents could go to 67 euro per square foot, which is ahead of the peak uh, in 2008. Yeah.
1: I think if you look from the period 2008 until 2030, if I'm correct, we built nothing. So if we're starting to build now, it, it really is about time. Our vacancy rates have gone incredibly low. If you look at core areas of the central business district, you've got vacancy rate rates between 2 and 4%. That is not sustainable. So we have seen a very significant increase in our rental levels. They're back at peak levels. They could rise further in the next number of years, but we are seeing the delivery of stocks starting to come on now, which should help towards that very strong levels of rental inflation. And really what happened was over the course of one 12-month period we where we saw a very significant increase in the demand for prime product when stock wasn't being delivered. Those rental inflation levels came back very high. But stock is, we have now... Over three hundred thousand square meters of space under construction in Dublin, which is positive. Mm. A very high proportion of it is pre-let, so it isn't a matter of oversupply in the marketplace. It's a matter of catching up where we we, we weren't building accommodation for quite some time.
2: Yeah, Stephen Tilling is uh, the, the minority government. Are you feeling okay about the minority government? Is it doing enough for your industry, enough for tourism, etc.?
0: Yeah, well, I think we're uh, next year we're looking at launching um, an Irish whiskey trail. So um, the Irish Whiskey Association has been working with the current government to try and replicate some of the success the likes of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail has had and some of the Scottish distilleries so um, I think what we're looking to do is package something have a cluster effect like we had with the Wild Atlantic Way or the Ancient East to try and say well look you can actually visit Ireland as a destination to see a lot of diverse and very different styles of whiskey distilleries and focus more on quality and craft rather than visit Dublin to you know, go out to the pubs and whatnot, and this will be more inclusive for rural and urban areas. So we'll encourage people to spend a longer time in Ireland and also do a lot of value added in the local communities, not just in Dublin, but around the whole of Ireland.
2: Yeah. Uh, Marion, hotels, I mean, we have a huge shortage of hotel bedrooms in Dublin, don't Mm -hmm. we? That's a big issue now at the minute.
1: Yeah, and there are a reasonable number of, of hotels in Dublin under construction, and we've had a lot of transactions in the hotel sector, so... Um, I think we've we have um, there's a balance coming through in that. I mean, we have we have seen a very strong increase in tourism figures may not be quite as high in the next year or two. Um, and there is some accommodation coming on less so outside of Dublin, though. The other areas are really very, very low levels of construction. Okay.
2: And I should ask you, what's your um, what's your economic forecast for next year
1: in terms of property prices or in general No GDP? I think we're probably looking at a growth rate somewhere around four percent again for for 2017.
2: 4% for 17 okay you're, you're kind of on the slightly high side oh, yeah. um, uh, most, of the, uh, most of the institutions are 3 point something uh, what would it have been back in March let's say pre Brexit have you brought it down
1: um, well, I think that it's very difficult to get a, a clear picture of what Brexit is going to do to the marketplace. So I haven't actually reduced our, our, our forecast. I think what we, we can expect to see is the, uh, an element of uncertainty initially, but there is some positive benefits there too. So it's balancing both of those out to see what the long-term impact is going to be. is a bit challenging at this stage. There's more okay. unknowns than knowns.
2: And in terms of uh, house transactions or mm. new bills? What what should we expect in 17?
1: Probably not more than about 16,000 to 17,000 new bills. We, it will improve, probably only improve in Dublin, but not as significantly as you would like. Transactions mm. hopefully will get to 50,000 in total in 17 and maybe slightly more than that. But again, that will be dependent on how quickly the construction sector responds to the initiatives.
2: Right. And the Help to Buy scheme, I mean, that's uh, an initiative for first time buyers buying new bills. Only, yes. Only, yeah. Mm. I mean, so it, does it, it go it, far enough?
1: Well, I think the purpose of it, if you if you stand back, is to encourage construction activity. Mm. The purpose is not to push money into the marketplace. Mm. So what we don't want to see is, is very significant levels in price inflation of people being priced out of the marketplace. So it is very targeted. are already seeing a
2: bit of that, don't we? I mean, there were, were stories uh, straight after the budget of uh, certain developments where prices went up.
1: Yes, maybe not directly related to that initiative, but there's always, I mean, there's a balance here in terms of the marketplace. You have to remember that while rents are back at, at, at above peak levels, prices in Dublin and in all of the rest of the country are 40% off peak levels. So there is a, a fairly significant gap there. But what we don't want to do is erode that. We want to keep competitiveness in the marketplace, but we want to increase construction activity, increase choice and make a long-term plan for the marketplace.
2: And what's the Sherry Fitz view on uh, landlords, char- all these charges that they've threatened to introduce if the government goes ahead with this 4% uh, cap? like For example, yeah. you know, when you get your keys, you have to pay a certain fee for the yes, privilege of I being mean, handed the keys.
1: It's, it's, it's not ideal in any way what has happened in the, in the last month, in particular, that there's a massive divide between those supplying property who feel very demonised, and those wanting to rent the marketplace. And I think the solution here is to stand back and look at what are the obstacles to entry in the marketplace. If more landlords are leaving the marketplace than coming in, there is clearly a problem, and the problem is largely the, t- the tax take mar- out of the uh, for a private investor, the tax take out of the rental income. If we can address that, we'll encourage more landlords into the marketplace. Therefore, we'll solve the rental inflation crisis and we'll we'll prevent this massive um, uh, divide, uh, which has occurred in the last month in particular.
2: Um, David, maybe just ask you about media. You're not long out of uh, TV3 and media's had another difficult year in 2016. Do you think it's going to get any better for print or broadcast media next year? I'd
3: I'd love to say yes. I don't think so. I think um, we've got a fundamental problem with... um with the media market here uh, that that I think, you know, we've seen signs of it for some time, but I think it really has come true strongly towards the end of 2016, um, which is that media here is just, it's it's back to the issue about scale. It's, it's priced well below cost. Um, the media market is now controlled very tightly by the big media buying groups, Um I think they have a very large share of the market, and I think prices have been driven artificially low here. I'm not sure who's got the deep pockets to break that, but um, whether it be between RTE and uh, TV3 and uh, Communicore, maybe in the radio side and newspapers, the uh, the Irish Times, INM, something has to be done to break that issue of price. And it's fundamentally an issue of price and, and that the price of media has simply got to go up. It is artificially low. And it's artificially low, not by 2 or 3%. It's probably artificially low by about 25%. Now, I want to be very careful saying that because OnPosta is a big media spender and I don't want to pay 25% more. <laughs> but at the same time, it's really, really important to us and I believe to most companies in Ireland that we've a good Irish media base. And, you know, I, I was really proud of TV3. And and yes, now it's owned by a UK company, but it's still a distinctively Irish media company. You know, I want the Irish Times. I want INM. I want RT. I want them all to succeed. And I don't want us just becoming a Shire County of of the UK. So... I think it's an area when we talk about policy that, you know, it's probably going to require that because the the, the hold in the market and the trend in the market and price is so strong. I should say in defense just slightly of the media buying market is, you know, there is a whole issue of online advertising and digital advertising, how much that's driven it. mobile advertising now is the place to be. But I think people have also found that maybe that's not, not all it was promised to be. And as a last thing, as, because I'm always an advertiser, as a pitch for Unpust, our own direct mail marketing, ad mailer, is a fantastic product which gets direct to people. So don't forget that. Right, okay. Thank thank you for that plug, uh, David. Um,
2: Stephen, your company, Teeling Whiskey, is a a youngish company. So what kind of media are you using? What channels are you using to advertise uh, the company's wares?
0: Yeah, we're mainly on digital, so we do a lot through social media. Um, I think as we said, we're investing in boots on the ground so people actually out in the market telling the stories, grassroots marketing um, out there as kind of brand ambassadors, brand advocates. But um, our main investment would be in digital. Um, social media for us is great because you have a one-to-one with, uh, consumers or people who like your product. Um, I think the bigger multinationals, um, will just outspend you. You know, the uh, traditional mediums of outdoor print, and um, we just wouldn't have the budget for that. But investing in actually people, um, going out into key markets and telling our story is vital. But also using the distillery as a brand home, so when people come in, they get a unique experience, and hopefully they go out and tell the story of. Dublin Whiskey Teeling Whiskey and and yeah. go out and kind of be your brand ambassadors but social media and digital definitely for us And Marion uh, how has Sherry Fitzgerald sort of shifted its
2: advertising over the years away from traditional media to digital
1: I think I suppose there's always a very strong presence in traditional um, media, and the uh, the Irish Times property pages and the Irish Independent, get both it. of them in, <laughs> um, are very important. I think for for property, but we have obviously invested very significantly in in our own website and in the portal sites, and indeed, Shrewsbury uh, were one of the founding members of of the My Home portal site. So we do know that the millennials, in particular are not uh, the same um, type of consumer as, as those of us that are slightly older who would still go to the paper every day. So we are advertising mm-hmm. um, in all of the different media in order to get to our consumers. We obviously keep our brand network. We have over 100 offices nationwide. That is a brand positioning rather than necessarily a place where people do a lot of business. Whether or not you you, you have a local office, yes. you'll still gather market share, but it is a brand positioning exercise.
2: Okay, so do you think in five years' time we'll have these traditional residential property sections?
1: I think there's always a place for them, but probably only for certain types of property. So certainly, the very premium property right. attract that. If you look at the trends internationally, there's always a place for premium property in print media.
2: Okay, I'm going to quickly go around the table and just ask uh, everybody just maybe to sum up uh, their thoughts uh, for next year: positive, negative. David, uh,
3: positive. Just come always positive. It's and I think we should be positive. Um, there's enough flux in the market that if we all work really hard and we apply a bit of genius if if there's any left and we all apply that 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 we should be able to drive some some growth in Ireland and uh I'm also patriotic about it I think Ireland is um I'm very struck by the comments Mary made earlier about you know we know we know the type of government we have we're not going to have an extreme government um I think we've a great kind of liberal economy that we can push and drive and I'm a big backer of it.
0: Okay, Stephen. Yeah, cautiously optimistic. I think um, 2017 for us, anyway, as a premium product, um, should hope to be positive. I think for Irish whiskey in general, we're only starting. Um, I think we can be a world leader in whiskey, and I think a lot of the recovery, particularly the fundamental recovery, would be from premium food and drink producers exporting to markets like the US. Marianne.
1: I think cautiously optimistic is a good term for property. I think we're hopefully we'll see a bit of an uplift in terms of activity, in terms of construction, um, and hopefully we'll we'll get a solution to the to the letting crisis. It's, it's badly needed.
2: OK, that's it for this week and indeed for this year from Inside Business. My thanks to David McGregman, Marion Finnegan and Stephen Teeling for their insights on 2017. Declan Conlon produced the show with Rob O'Sullivan as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Have a very happy new year.